Testament reading this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 28, 1 through 6, and then 15 through 19. I put 20 in your bulletin, but it's actually 19. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, this is a section where God is uh, offering blessings for obedience to his people and cursing for disobedience. So verse 1 beginning in 28. And the Lord says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of, the, of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And then verse 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall be you when you come in, and cursed shall be you when you go out. Amen, and praise God. Now let's turn over to Romans. We're beginning chapter 7 this morning. And you could tell by the, uh, hopefully from the Old Testament reading, from what we've been speaking to this morning, even our call to worship, that we're going to be talking about our relationship to the law of God especially. So Paul does that, and he's doing that to assure us that we are justified in Jesus Christ alone. He's continuing that teaching, that argument that's been going on really since chapter 5 about who we are in Christ. And he's just going through it again and again and again in different ways because it's so hard for us to, number one, even comprehend, let alone live, in, live out in that truth. So Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Do you not know, brothers... From speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to, to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear, for, bear fruit for death. But now we're, we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of spirit and not in the old way of the written code. May God bless the reading 
of his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. Thank you for your word, Lord God. Please pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Illuminate our hearts and our minds. Help us, Lord, to be free from all the distractions. Help us to be free from our own thoughts and mind, Lord, that would carry us away from your word. But give us laser-like focus on your word and do that by your spirit. I pray that you would be with me to bring forth your word very clearly, Lord God, with precision, that we may gain insight, understanding, to be confronted where we need to be by your word and spirit, comforted, Lord, and just challenged, to live for Jesus Christ in light of his love and justification. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, praise God. Uh, Our relationship to the law, it's so vital. uh, What Paul's writing here is it helps us understand our position in Christ to realize the reality of who you are in Christ and who we are in Christ, that radical change that takes place to those who've been justified by the grace of God. You have been changed. If you're in Jesus Christ, we have been transformed. We have been changed. I know so many things seem to say the same in our lives and our personalities don't quite change and, you know, who we are outwardly, but we inwardly, we are transformed. We are new creation in Jesus Christ and we live under his reign and by his authority and through his word. And we have the power to do that by his Holy Spirit. We have the power to obey him. We have the power to truly change, to truly say no to sin and yes to Jesus Christ. All that is true of us, to be faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live no longer as we have in the past before Christ. Now, we spoke into the relationship of the law and, uh, uh, and who we are in Christ in previous sermons. But Paul, in this section, takes a little bit deeper dive, and I guess we will as well uh, this week and next week especially. But I'm just going to see the, the, the futility, man, just how fruitless it is when we, in terms of trying to please God by keeping the law in some way, either before you're saved to try to earn that merit or even after we're in Jesus Christ. We're not trying to keep the law as such. We're living as Christians, and as we do that, the law is going to show up in our lives, and that's why we love the law. We'll be explaining that as we go through this message. But... This idea of trying to keep, trying to do, is just a default for the human heart. It's just what we all try to do in different ways. And in some ways, it's okay. Like if, you know, if you're at a job and you do the best you can and you earn, that's, that's fine. When we come to the spiritual realm, there's no way to earn. But still, that's the default position for us. And a reason for that is because we're under sin and because we're caught, we're still, when we're born into this world, we're under really the the covenant of works. And that was, we've gone over that time and again where God promised to say, look, you may eat of all this, but don't do that. You need to obey me and you will live. Keep my commandments and you will have life. That's the perfect standard. We are still inclined to do that apart from God. And we're under that until, by faith, through grace, we're brought out of that covenant transferred to the covenant of grace and that's through regeneration being born again that is the the work of the holy spirit in us but paul says the law is binding when one is alive to it so paul says don't you know brothers from speaking to those who know the law primarily to the to the jews who would be in the congregation that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So we know that, because once you die, the laws don't apply to you anymore. Well, I don't know, in this day and age, now we have the death taxes, so, you know, it's kind of 
shady ground there in that way. But you know the point. You know what he's saying here. That law just applies while you are alive. And even the language that he uses there is covenantal. When he says it's binding on us, the law is binding. That's, that's covenantal language. It's, it's upon us. Because God is holy, he's good, and he's right. And the law is an expression of his goodness, of his righteousness, of his holiness, of his nature, and of his character. And that's bound, binding to every single person. Every single person is bound to the law of God, is born under the law of God, as we see, as we know in Galatians. We'll be going there in just a little bit. That's why, because we're under the law, because we're in this covenant of works, that's why it's the default position for every single person, basically, when they think about spiritual relationships, how to get to the next life, how to do this. Every other spiritual religious system has a works-based, doesn't it? It has a works-based system. So it doesn't matter where you go in this world because they're under that covenant of works. That's going to be their inclination. Here's what you need to do to earn favor with your chosen God, to, you know, if you're a Muslim, you have to do certain things and hope that you're going to be accepted. It doesn't matter, even in the new age, you do what you must do, and hopefully there's the benefits, there's the payoff. So it's, it's do this and live, right, through your human effort, or you fail to do this and you will face death and the consequences. That is the whole idea. So these other systems kind of, they show that that covenant, they're trying, they're striving to gain life, to gain something, to gain a prize at the end by doing. That's a covenant of works throughout, trying to earn favor with God. If I only do this, then maybe God will love me because they are under the law. But remember the purpose of the law? Primarily, when we talk about the law of God, what does that mean? What's the purpose? What's the function of the law especially? It does a few things especially. Number one, it restrains evil. It's meant to restrain evil. People look at it and say, well, I don't want to do that because I might incur some punishment. So, and and that, that works in a way. It's a guide especially for those who are in Christ. We're going to talk more and more about that this week, later on today and next week especially. Like David, we read in the Psalms how he loves the law of God, how he loves the statutes, how he loves the commandments of God. And every true Christian loves the law of God, don't you? We, we must. We, it's before us. We, we see it. It's nothing, oh, that's so hard. I don't want to, yuck, I don't love. No, we love that law of God. Our, our, our purpose is to, to live in a way that's consistent with it by his spirit. Not trying to, per se, to earn favor, to earn, no, but because of what he's done in us. And then, Primarily, the use of the law, why the law is there, is to show us that we can't keep it, right? And, and, to, and then to lead us. to do, It doesn't just leave us there in our sin. It shows us our inability, right? I can't keep on doing this. I can't. How am I going to earn the favor of God by trying, by striving, by doing this? And the law says, shows us that we are unable, the futility of keeping the law to earn some kind of merit, to earn some kind of salvation. That's what's so beautiful about Christianity. It puts... You know, no other system, religious system, has this, is that you can't do that. And that's what this part of the law shows us. We're unable to keep it, no matter how hard we try. The standard is perfection. I break it all the time, no matter how hard I try. We cannot do that. That is the standard is perfection. Why then the law? That's what Paul says, to drive us to Christ. I do want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3 to see this. The law is binding. And these are the proper so-called uses of the law. 
Again, Paul, similar to in Romans, he's talking about justification, how we are justified by faith alone. So hard to grasp because of the human heart, because we always want to either take a little bit of credit for ourselves, we're always going back to our work, see what I've done, God. To be saved freely by the grace of God is one of the most difficult concepts to comprehend. How can this be? But that's what Paul is showing and teaching us, and he's doing the same thing in Galatia uh, with, the, with the church there. And he's talking about the broader context is justification by faith and the relationship between faith and the works of the law. And he goes on to say this, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 3. Is the law contrary to the promise of God? Because he's talking about justification apart from the law. And he says, certainly not, no way. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. See, that's the big mistake that people make all along. They think, here's the law that's going to give life. If, if, if the law could give life, if you could keep it perfectly, then amen. That's great. That would be wonderful. But Paul's saying, that's not, that's not the case. If it had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So we can't keep the law perfectly. We can't do that. That's why Christ came. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. That's kind of been the covenant of works. We're going to try to do this. We're going to be captive, do our best in, in futility to keep this law. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, when he talks about guardian, a better translation, I think, or more apt, is in the King James when it talks about a schoolmaster, kind of a, a, a person who teaches us or points the way to Christ, the schoolmaster would be not necessarily the, the teacher, but the person in the classroom. If a kid wasn't paying attention, you know, they kind of swat that kid and, you know, make sure that that, that person, that kind of getting the attention of that student onto the teacher, leading them to, to uh, pay attention in that way. So Paul says it was like a schoolmaster to us, leading us until... Uh, Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. In verse 25, But now that faith has come, we're no longer under the guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We don't need the law to point us to Christ anymore because we're in Jesus Christ. doesn't mean that there's no place for the law. But in that capacity, there is no need for the law in that way. Listen, ultimately and always, even as I read from the Old Testament, the, the function... The law was to drive people and point people to Christ. The Old Testament was not about people doing their best to keep the law in order to earn redemption from God. It never was that. Some people have the misconception that in the Old Testament, here's how they were saved, by being faithful to God, by keeping... The, they were always saved by grace, even in the Old Testament, pointing forward to Christ. And the law was given, again, to restrain, to point to Christ ultimately, to help, uh, to, to show them the way to serve God, the living God. That's why I said, do this and you'll live. If you don't, you're going to have curses, okay? So it's always meant for that. It was never meant to save. It was never meant to say, well, here, I'm going to try to keep it my best, and then God will bring me into his heaven. It was never, ever like that. Um, but... Through the years, through the centuries, it became just that for so many in the Jewish nation. It just did. By the time of Christ, you had groups like the Pharisees who were there, whose entire identity, like their big identity, was so much formed around this concept of kind of keeping the law and making laws upon laws and doing that, trying to earn in that way, that they actually missed, they missed 
not only the purpose of the law, which is to drive to Christ, right? They missed the purpose of that law to drive us to Christ to see we can't do this. Somebody else has to do it for us. They missed the lawgiver himself, Christ who gave that law to them. They rejected him, and then they, they, they rejected the keeper of the law, the one who gave the law and the one who would keep it for them. That's what legalism does. That's what it does in that way when it's twisted. So it's binding. It says, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives. As long as you live, you're under that covenant of works. Then he goes on to give an illustration. He says, for a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So he gives an illustration of this idea about dying and being freed from that law. The big idea, the big picture I want you to see is either you're under the covenant of works or you're under the covenant of grace. Either you're in Christ or you're outside of Christ. He uses the illustration of marriage. It kind of frees us from that uh, law of trying trying to use the law to earn that righteousness. So the ordinance of marriage uh, is from God, obviously. It's covenantal, very much so. It's a covenant that you enter into. You don't enter into it lightly. We take the vows before that. And there's so much of the covenantal aspect of marriage that has been missed today. That's an entirely another different sermon. But you take those vows, and it's a lifelong commitment in sickness and in health, better, worse, richer, poor, life, death, all, all, of, all of that. Unlawfully broken, that's ten, that's, that equals sin. So if you say, well, I just don't want to be married to this person anymore. She drives me crazy. I'm out of here. You know, I'm, I'm gone. That's your, your, you, you've sinned against the Lord. You're released from, now, there are exceptions, but for the purpose, the, the point that Paul's making here, you're released from that covenant when your spouse dies. So when your spouse dies, in God's eyes, that frees you from the bonds of marriage. So you... Many widows will not remarry, and, and that's fine. They don't have to, to remarry, but they're allowed to because they're free from that covenant bond. It's death that freed them from that. So now you're free to get married. Right? Is that okay with you guys? If your spouse dies, would you still be, oh, I don't want you to marry anybody? You can't do that. They're, that frees them up in that relationship. So he goes on. To apply it to us in Christ Jesus, verses 4 through 6. Likewise, my brothers, if you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, not to ourselves. We might, we might leave ourselves, sin, Satan, death, and, belong, and be, uh, belong to Jesus Christ. To him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So here's the relationship to the law as Christians. Again, Behind this is, is that, that covenant of works. Death does end that relationship. The only way of entering into a new relationship is through death. And that's the whole purpose of the sacrificial system, pointing back to that as well. Something has to die to get us out of an old relationship into the new relationship, to free us from the bonds or from that, that covenant we were under to move into a new one. We have died to the law, and listen to this, as a means of gaining righteousness. 
right? As a means of gaining, as a means of trying to say, look, God, here's what I've done for you. Please take this into consideration. Or I've done my part, or I've done the best that I can. We, we, we're, we're out of that. We're not trying to do that. We can't do that. We realize that that's futile. So we died to the law as a means to gaining righteousness because Jesus kept and fulfilled its demands. Amen? That's it. That's it. Only death can break our relationship to the law. Right? That's why people keep trying. So you'll, you'll talk to people every day, and they'll say something to the effect, I'm trying to be good. I never kill anybody. I, would never, you know, I wouldn't do this. I haven't done that. That's exactly what they're trying to do here under that covenant of works to keep that law. So it happens in real life around you every day when you talk to people, and they're trying to say, well, I'm doing this, and I don't do that. Right? Only death can break our relationship to the law. It was Jesus' death. Our faith in him by grace that sets us free from the demands of the law. He has settled that for us. We are now dead to the law. We are dead to the law. But in what sense? We've talked about this. This is part of Paul's points. We're not dead to the law to say, well, there's no more law. We could live any way we want. We could do what we want because we're under grace. We spend so many sermons and so much time on that concept. It's not that. In what sense are we dead to the law? Here it is. Once again, I'm saying it to you. Write it down if you need to. We're dead in the sense that since Christ kept the law perfectly and we are in him, we are not trying to save or justify ourselves by attempting to keep the law, by doing the best we can, by trying harder, by doing better, by having a set of rules and commandments in order to earn his favor. We are no longer under that covenant of works anymore. We've been brought into the covenant of grace. That's true for all of his people. Now, the Shorter Catechism is a little, it's helpful here for us at this point, I think. I want to look at a few of the questions from the Shorter Catechism that might just kind of um, make, make this a little clearer for you. God says this, what special act of providence did God exercise towards man when he created him? So when God created man, he placed him in the garden, he said this, when God created man, he'd entered into a covenant of life with him Upon the condition, there's the condition, the works of perfect obedience. You have to be perfectly obeying everything that I say, everything that I command you need to do. That's the, that, those are the terms. <clears throat> Upon the condition of perfect obedience. And here it is. Here's the restriction. Forbidding him to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. That's what's typically called uh, the covenant of life or the covenant of works that God entered into. Do this and you will live. Don't do that and... Um, You'll have life. If you break that, then here are the consequences. Then he goes on, question uh, 16 is helpful as well. Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? Here's our connection to Adam. Here's how we're told we're born into that covenant of works. This answers that. The covenant being made with Adam was not only for himself, but his posterity. All mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. We had a sermon that really dealt with that. Uh, in some detail a while back. And then Catechism 20. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? So there's the covenant of works. We're all in that because of our connection to Adam. What's the cure? What's the remedy? Is it us trying to keep that, to do that on our own so we could bring it before God? No, it's this. God having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life did enter into, and there's the covenant of grace, and that's nothing we could do. Christ has done it all for us. To deliver us out of the state of sin and misery, to bring them into the estate of salvation by a redeemer. Okay? And the only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So does that clear it up just a little bit for you we're talking about here? I know we have a little distraction going on, but you can pay here. You have that idea of the covenant, who's a part of that covenant, and how we're released from that by the covenant of grace. Amen? Thank you, Luke. Um, that's it. We're delivered from darkness. Colossians 1.13 tells us this. It's another way of saying what I just spoke to. He delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his son. So he goes on to say, for while we're living in the, I'm sorry, um, likewise, my brothers, you've also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. We belong to another now. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to somebody else. We belong to Jesus Christ. When he says you belong to another, that is none other than Jesus Christ if you are in him. Galatians 4.4 says this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That means Jesus was born under the law and he kept it perfectly to do what? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Born under the law to be redeemed. How are we redeemed? Through Jesus' perfect life. That's it. Not by us keeping the law, not by us trying harder to do better. Make that a a certainty in your life. That's what Paul is talking about here. This is how we go from that covenant of works to the covenant of grace. Born under the law through his active obedience. That means Christ actively worked on our behalf. He kept the law at every single point, the law that we break every single day. Christ kept it. Active obedience of Christ. He lived the life that we could not live. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knew exactly what our weaknesses are. How Satan works. How he tempts us. All the, tem- the temptations that come upon. You know those every single day. The temptations that we give into every single day. To one degree or another. Christ did not. Christ kept the law perfectly. He was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. But then he goes on to pay the price. This is how we belong to another. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus Christ because he paid the price. The penalty our sin deserves, he was the willing substitute, sacrificed himself to atone for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. Amen and praise God. He was raised from the dead, the powerful son of God that conquered death. It was demonstrated by the blood of the new covenant that was shed that he saved his people from their sins. We won't do Matthew, but those are the idea of belonging to another. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him. Does that make sense? He did it himself. Apart from the works of the law, we are saved. There's nothing we can do. He has done it all for us. So we're saved to the purpose. This is our last point, saved to... What purpose? He goes on to say in verse 5, I'm sorry, the end of verse 4, that we may bear fruit for God. Now, in Jesus Christ, we can actually please him. We can actually begin to live for him. We can actually obey him in a way that's honoring to him. This, behind all this, is the sanctification by by the Spirit of God. It's behind all of this as we are being sanctified in Christ. But listen, to be faithful is to be fruitful. How do you bear fruit for God? By being faithful to him. That's what it is. It's, there's no big trick to it. It's by listening. It's, a, it's no longer belonging or living for yourself. That's, what that, that's how we bear fruit to God. It's not that we're going to say, oh, today I'm going to bear fruit by doing this, this, and this. We bear fruit 
as we live for him, as we're in his word, as we're on our knees, as we're praying, as we're living our lives faithfully, as we're doing the job we're called to do, as we're the husbands we're meant to be, as we're the wives Christ calls us to be, right? It's not, it's not like some list of, of, again, now that I'm saved, here's what I must do. No, it's no longer living for yourself, no longer living for the things that you simply desire that are not in accordance with his word, but living for Christ. It's being consumed by Jesus Christ. That's how we bear that fruit. That fruit's gonna show up in your life if you're consumed by Christ. Are you? Are you consumed by Christ in your life? Or is he just a part of your life? Or do you just bring him in when there's trouble? Or is he just kind of there in the background somewhere? If he's not your all in all, then you will not bear fruit keeping with righteousness, Right? That's how, we, that's how we bring forth fruit. Being consumed in our thinking, consumed by Christ. Romans 12, 2 tells us this. It says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't love this world. Don't be so into this world like so many of us are, like so many of you are. We just love this world and we love our shows and we love our things and we love our activities and we love this life. So don't be consumed with this world. Don't be conformed to it. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Get your mind off that garbage that you're watching, those games that you're playing, and put your mind on Jesus Christ and being his word. That's where it is. Get your mind off that, that filth and that lust and that dirt. Get your mind on Jesus Christ where it belongs. Be conformed, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what good, what's good and acceptable and perfect. That's what it means to be a Christian, not just coming to church on Sunday and then leaving here and doing whatever you want. It's being consumed by Christ. That's how you're going to know his will. That's how you're going to bear fruit when you're in his word, when you're looking to him and not to yourself. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We don't fully trust our feelings. Man, don't, don't count on your feelings. Don't count on your desires. Don't, don't, Go for what's most important to you if it doesn't align with the word of God. He, we are consumed by him. What's important to him is important to us, right? We don't trust our own feelings, our desires. What's most important to us is our obedience to Christ, and that's marked by the qualities of what it means to be in Jesus Christ, by the fruit of the Spirit, by living that out. That's what this looks like when it says we belong to another, we bear fruit for him. And it's the complete opposite of what you were before. Are you still like you were before Christ in your life? I'm not saying that you're going to live perfectly as, you know, as a, some sanctified saint completely. That's not the point. But you don't love your sin anymore. You better not love your sin anymore. You better not love that mouth that you used to curse God and to curse others. You better not love some of the actions that you take or some of the thoughts that you have towards other people. You better not love that. You may do that because of sin. We'll talk more about that next week. But it can't be. That is not who you are in Jesus Christ. That's who you were before Christ. So look at verse 5. He says this. But now we're released from the law. I'm sorry, verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit of death. And that's what you were bearing before Christ. Just the fruit of death. It was self-centered. It was selfish. It wasn't the fruit of life in Christ. Now, this idea of, of the law inciting passion is loaded. We'll talk more about it next week. But you remember, the threefold purpose of the law is to drive us to Christ, is to restrain evil, is, is to be our desire as Christians. But listen, that's, what he's talking about in verse 5 is not the purpose of the law, but oftentimes it's the product of the law. 
The product of the law in this way, when the sinful heart is confronted by the law of God, sometimes it's going to restrain you. Like you say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that because that's going to go over, you know, that's going to get me in trouble and I, I want to watch it. But you know what? Other times it's going to incite you. It's going to incite you to actually actually go forth and get that which is forbidden. There's something in us, isn't there? There's something in the human heart, and it just shows forth that, that how wicked the heart can be, right? Because when you see something that, that is against the law, that, that's pointed out, it actually arouses sinful passion in you. Again, more to come next week. But the very fact that something is forbidden, that something is off limits, does something in you that says, I want that. Almost because I can't have that, but I want that. And, and Proverbs, 19, or Proverbs 9, 17 and 18 speaks to this and says, there's no Proverbs 19. It says, I have, good thing I have this memorized. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is something. <laughs> I missed that part. But it, in the end, it leads to death, right? So you know that feeling. When you steal, at first, it's kind of sweet. You take that, and it's yours. I can't have it, but I got it, and it's mine. And sometimes that's what the law it does. It incites us. And all that does serve to show the depth of our sin. When it's right before us, don't do it. No, I'm going to do it. When it says don't touch, we want to reach out and we want to grab it for ourselves, don't we? When it, when it says, when you see that wedding band, for some people, that wedding band on your finger is a challenge to them, right? It's not saying off limits. It's saying, I'm going to overcome that challenge because that's what it does. It incites because there's excitement there, a sense of you know, wanting to, to be fulfilled in that way. Again, we'll talk more about that next week. But it incites us sightful passions. So not only do we not keep the law of God, we're not restrained by the law of God, but far too often, willingly, wantingly, willfully, we transgress. And that's the fruit of death. When we do that, there are the consequences of sin. That's the futility of being under the law. That's what it's going to lead to. You can't save yourself, and it's going to get you in trouble in the end because you break it, there's going to be consequences to that. And that's so very characteristic of our day today. There's very little restraint in the law, if you know, in society right now. We're very much up against it, and that's why we need to preach the law and gospel. We need to preach the law and gospel, that you're a lawbreaker, that you're a rebel, and that you need Jesus Christ because we're living in a day and age where there's very little restraint to the law. It's mostly put up to the side, what it's actually doing is it's, it's inciting people to more sin. They see that law, oh, that's what God says, that's who I'm supposed to be. No, 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 God, here's who I am. I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you what I want. See, it's inciting people. We're living in that very defiant age right now. So Paul goes on to say there's futility, there's consequences, and then there it is, verse 6, there's our little conjunction that we love so much. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So we serve in a new way. So we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Amen and praise God. Here's the good news in Christ. We are released from the law. Again, how are we released from the law? That we don't have to worry about the commandments anymore? That they don't mean anything to us? Nope. We are released from the law as a means of gaining righteousness as well as 
standing condemned under it. You know, we're, we're not condemned by it anymore. It's not a mean of gaining righteousness for us. Understand that. Really get that in your heart and life. We serve in a new way by the Spirit, and that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, this speaks to our sanctification. We'll be talking about that in the upcoming weeks. But here it is. It's when he says that, that we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, capital S, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. So this is, this is it's, it's life not apart from the law, but in a different relationship to the law. We don't see it as a burden anymore as the Holy Spirit has set us free as, as we know that Christ has kept that law for us. So we don't look at, the, at God's law as burdensome, as keeping his commandments as burdensome. Sometimes it's difficult, sometimes, but there's not a true Christian that says, I don't want to live that way. I want, we might wrestle, and we'll see that next week, but in our heart of hearts, we, we want to love him. We want to obey that law. We want to be faithful stewards, not in a legalistic way, but because of the love and the we've received in the transformation that has taken place in us. So we don't see his commandments as burdensome, but really, as David said, as a lamp unto our feet. That's what, that's what, it's a joyful pursuit, pleasing Christ, loving what God loves, hating what God hates, doing what he commands. That's natural for us now, isn't it? The spirit versus the letter. Now, this is small s, Versus the letter. The spirit versus the letter of the law. For us as Christians, the spirit, there's deeper meaning. We know the reason for the law, the reason behind the law. Not the letter, strict letter of the law. Well, I'm going to keep this law in hopes that God, God will love me. Or I'm going to keep this law in the strictest manner so that I can continue to sin in other ways. You see what people do? When you keep that strict, I mean, there's something to the letter of the law in, in some ways. But when it's kept in a strict legalistic sense it leads to death you're either just trying to do this much in order to gain favor or this much so that you could do something else in terms of your sin let me give you an illustration of that or an example of that anyway in leviticus 19:14, check this out it says here's an ordinance of god and it says you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind but you shall fear God, for I am the Lord. Okay? So that's, that's a commandment from God, and it's come forth from his word, and he says that. Now, the letter of the law, people are going to say, it forbids two things. That forbid, forbids cursing the deaf or tripping the blind person. How cruel is that? You know, like, you know, just how mean is that? But that's the letter of the law. The spirit of the law. The idea behind it, the fullness behind this, and this is what was made, was made known to us by the Holy Spirit, by the Lord, how we love, why we love the law, because the spirit of the law says, look, we are not, as God's people, to, to, to take advantage of anybody with, with disabilities. We, we're, that's implicit. It doesn't just mean the strict letter of that, you know, tripping that person or um, cursing, cursing the death person. It, it's it's the, the fullness of that. It forbids it taking advantage of any disability of others explicitly but also implicitly it teaches us to care for those very same people that's the spirit of the law it's not the letter of the law the letter so so some people will say look the letter of the law says i can't trip this person or curse that person but if i have a a, a, 
a person who has a mental disability over there, I could take advantage of them because the letter of the law doesn't say that I can't take advantage of those persons. See, some people are letter of the law people, and it says don't trip that person and don't curse that person, but it doesn't mean I can't take advantage of that person with another kind of disability. That's kind of how they get away with their, their sin in that way. And as long as I don't do this, trip them or curse them, then I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Or it doesn't work like that. We understand the fullness, the beauty of that law that says you don't take advantage of anybody with a disability. And you care for that person and you love that person. That's who we're called to be in Jesus Christ. Amen? See the difference? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. So letter of the law, people are going to say, well, as long as I don't kill you. I didn't kill anybody. But then Jesus goes on to say, if you hate your brother, you've already incurred judgment. You've already murdered him in your heart. So you're guilty in that sense, just like a murderer. You've already murdered him in his heart because of your hate, and you are liable to judgment for that. See, the fullness of the law says, no, 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 no. Not only do we not murder, oh, I know not kill anybody, but I'm not going to unnecessarily wound somebody or spitefully hurt somebody with my tongue, with my voice, whatever that means, to, to, to do that in, in that way. You should not, you've heard it say you should not commit adultery. Well, I never really cheated on my wife because I never slept with another woman or I never slept with another man or my wife or whatever day we're living in. You could, okay, sleep with anything or anybody. But nevertheless, technically, oh no, we didn't go through the act in that way. But Jesus said, if you've lusted after another in your heart, you've already committed adultery because that's the intention of your heart. You've broken the law in that way. You're not upholding the law. See, for us, we love the law because we want to say, no, no, no. I don't, it's not just not committing adultery, but I want to love my wife so much. My attention's on her and my affection's towards her and I'm loving her exclusively. I'm not thinking about another woman. I'm not viewing porn. I'm not living in this life. I'm not doing that because it's on her. Do you see that? That's the fullness of the law. That's why we love the law. That's the, that's the beauty of the law of God for the Christian. It's not just restricting us and saying, oh, I can't do that. But as we live for Christ, you're going to find the law is alive in our hearts. That's what it is. In Christ, we're in an entirely new relationship to God's law in that way. We're not under the covenant of works. We're in the covenant of grace by the grace of God. We have an entirely new purpose meaning, identity in our lives, and that's to bring forth fruit unto God, not a self-centered focus, but a Christ-centered focus in all that we do. And we're given the power by the Spirit to live in ways that before trusting in Christ was not possible. It was not possible for you in any way to please the Lord, to keep the law in a sense of honoring God in that way. It was not possible but we have gone in Christ, we have gone from unable to, to, to keep the letter of the law to understanding the spirit of the law in Jesus Christ. And that's our relationship to it. So Paul says we serve in a new way of the spirit. Doesn't mean that those commandments are gone. Oh, we don't have to worry about you know, stealing, lying, coveting. No, 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 no. But in a new way, in a deeper way, in a fuller way, understanding the richness of the law of God in our lives, not in a strict trying to gain salvation or trying to get away with I can, with what I can kind of way. In Christ, it's all given to him.